Oh God, the, the, the candlelight procession that we just heard. Dark, dark night in Bethlehem. One star. So bright. And if we had been there, wouldn't we have gone with our little candles? Wouldn't we have stepped into that stable? Oh, you came the first time, but we can't help thinking of the second time. In the midst of the two advents, speak to us, we pray. Let Scripture be clear in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you noticed, or is this only me? Doesn't it seem that we are living now almost constantly with the adrenaline high of crises? Can you believe it? Three days ago, San Bernardino. Three weeks ago, what was it? Paris and Beirut. Two months ago, somewhere over the Sinai Peninsula, a Russian airline with everybody on board blasted out of the sky. ISIS. Anybody heard of ISIS before? But now we live with it. The news media just can't, you, you can't make this stuff up. They're not hyping it up. I mean, look, we've got a Roseburg, Oregon, where I began my ministry as a young Greenhorn intern, Umqua Community College, bullet sprayed the dead, Planned Parenthood, police killings now. I mean, it's just some kid goes into a church in Charleston, South Carolina this summer and in the name of racial hatred just sprays a Bible study to death. You know what my concern is? Not just that these events are happening, but that as they, as, as they crescendo that we develop what psychologists call frozen emotions, that we, that we just simply, we are so adrenaline hide that we, we'll settle for a new normal. Well, you just, you just got to have this stuff. I mean, this life on this planet. Come on, guys. This is not life on this planet. This has been like nothing my life has seen, nor yours. But I'm not only concerned that we might become numb to the shock. You know, as a, as a little pastor, here's what really concerns me. I am concerned that we might become blinded to the skyrocketing evidence that this planet is in huge trouble. We are approaching an end game of some sort. Houston, we have a big problem. You don't have to be a religious believer at all. If you just have a noggin, you know something's up with the human race. I'm concerned that we may think, you know, like the Jews in Jerusalem of old. Jeremiah saying, hey, guys, it's over, it's over. And false prophets started popping up and saying, forget it, peace and safety, it's going to be better, it's going to get better. I'm afraid we'll fall for that deception and miss the curtain call at the end of time. And by the way, is this all about headlines? No, it is not. Are the headlines about something else? Yes, they are. Let me now take you into our teaching. Kirby Anderson, a syndicated columnist out of Dallas, wrote a piece reviewing the premise in a book called When Nations Die, the author of the book, James Nelson Black. Black has examined 3,000 years of history. He studied civilizations, empires, and nations, and in analyzing their histories, he's come to a conclusion. By the way, not, not new with him. There have been many researchers who have come to the same conclusion, namely that for all of these collapsed civilizations, there has been a set of trends that contributed to the demise of that nation. Let me put James Black's words on the screen for you. There is a study guide, by the way, today. Let me just insert this. Will you take, take his words off? And uh, 
let's, let's put up the title slide right here because there is a study guide. And uh, the, 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 uh, the teaching today, A Christmas Prayer for 2015, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Everything that uh, I'm about to share with you from black, you have in print. I want you to take it home and just brood over it. It may not be clear right now, but you hang on to it. So this is uh, James Black Nelson on the screen. As I have looked back across the ruins and landmarks of antiquity, I have been stunned by the parallels between those societies and our own. You're reading it on the screen. For most of us, the destruction of Carthage, the rise of the Greek city-states, and the fall of Rome are mere ghosts of the past, history lessons long forgotten. And such things as the capture of Constantinople, the dissolution of the Holy Roman Empire, the collapse of the kingdoms of France and Spain, and the slow, withering decline of the British Empire are much less clear and less memorable. But, now here's where he's going. This is the legitimate background of our own place in history. Thus, it is vital that we reconsider the nature of life in those earlier times. For within those eras, eras and movements past are the seeds of the troubles we face today, end quote. Now, what he does is, analyzing all of these civilizations, he says, you can cluster the trends, and he's going to share ten of them with us. You can cluster them in the area of decay, social decay, cultural decay, and moral decay. I'm going to run them by you. We're going to keep track of the trends. That's what we're noting. First, the social decay cluster. Put it on the screen. You also have this in your study guide. Those of you watching right now, live streaming, you've got the study guide right there. You're watching on television right now, www.pmchurch.com. TV. You can get the same study guide. You're going to want this. Social decay. Okay, the first three trends. Number one, crisis of lawlessness. Go figure. <laughs> we got that one. Number two, loss of economic discipline. Charging the credit card till it's out of sight. Government with $18 trillion in debt today. Number three, rising bureaucracy. Enough said. Now, under the cultural decay, decline of education, American education falling, falling further and further behind smaller nations, brighter people, weakening of cultural foundations, loss of respect for tradition. What happened to the traditional family? It's gone. Number seven, increase in materialism. Do you know that last weekend, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Americans spent over $15 billion on ourselves? Last weekend, 15 billion, gone. Materialism. Okay, the last grouping, moral decay. Number eight, rise in immorality, decay of religious belief, devaluing of human life. That's what we're seeing. A rather sobering series of parallels between the fallen empires of the past and our own nation to date, wouldn't you say? So this adrenaline of crises that we're now experiencing is no coincidence, no coincidence at all, is it? Turns out the disintegration of this nation, because we are now a global vi village, the whole thing goes down together, is the logical outcome of our social, cultural, and moral decay, as it's been for millennia. And one more, if the trends of this decay are not reversed... Would it not be logical to expect that this nation would suffer the same collapse as past empires once did? So what could we possibly do to reverse the decline? Let's leave the bad news behind now. Let's go to the good news. What can we do to reverse the decline in America today? Let me run them by you. I'll run these six by you, share a quotation and a story, and I'll sit down. A six-link chain. Here they are. Here's where you need your study guide. 
I'm going to run six texts by you. Text number one, let's go. The book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, right after the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 4. You can bring a Bible, pull the pew Bible out because I'm in the New King James today. You'll be in the same one. It'll be on the screen. That's your phone, tablet, whatever. Mark chapter 4. Matthew, rather, chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Let's begin in verse 16. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. What was the light? What, what penetrated the darkness? Ah, here it comes, number seven, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I like the way the New Living Translation renders that verse 16 and put it on the screen here. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, I like that poetic imagery, where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. I remind you, ladies and gentlemen, when the Messiah came the first time, society was steeped in a culture of death. You could be a slave owner just like that. Boom, you're gone, dead, don't need you anymore. Roman occupation turned the horizons into just a string of crosses. Culture of death today? You kidding? All you need today is a single gun or an explosive vest, and you can execute anybody you please anywhere anymore. You take them out. And by the way, if you can't do that, you can sit behind a little screen and you can blow the heads off of people by just a click of a mouse, just, just a click of your finger, a click of that trigger, boom, blood and guts all over the screen. Culture of death. When the Messiah came the first time, the Messiah comes the second time. Any hope for this? Ah, oh, here comes the good news now. The, the apocalypse, Revelation chapter 18. So this is text number two. There are just six of these. Now sit down. Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. Verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. He said, Dwight, how do you know this is the end of time? Because the whole world collapses in the next few, visits, uh, next few verses. It's just a, an implosion. Look at verse 2. And he, this angel, cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen. It's fallen has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. What's happening here? For all the nations, so it's a global confederacy, all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of their fornication. The kings of the earth, political alliances, have committed fornication, and the merchants, economic collapse as well. The, the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Some sort of final collapse, economic, political, moral, not just this nation, but the whole planet. But something happens just before the collapse. And I love this. Verse 1, there's this explosion of light in the darkness, just this, just this shaft of light that circles the earth. What's that light? We've got to find it out. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 43. See if you can find the book of Ezekiel, Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 43. Take a look at this. Ezekiel 43. What is this? Verse 1. John took the line that you just read in Revelation 18.1. He just grabbed it right from here. So now, now we'll know what the light is. Ezekiel 43, verse 1, And afterward he brought me to the gate. The gate that faces what direction? What does it say there? Faces east. And behold, verse 2, The glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. Something's happening here. 
And by the way, something happens to the human race every single, every single 24 hours. There is something that comes out of the east that drives the darkness away. And what's that something? It's the sunrise. The sun is coming up. So when, when Revelation 18 says before the world collapses, there'll be this sunrise, one last burst of light. There is a sun that will still come up. Good news. Before the end. So what is this? What's this sun? Okay, the last book of the Old Testament. Text number four, Malachi. Malachi chapter four. The last, just before Matthew is Malachi. Malachi chapter four. Look, at there are just six of these. And this is number four. I need you to catch this. Look at verse two. But to you who fear my name, God is speaking. Hey, are you friends with me? Am I your Lord and Savior? Yo, to you, to you who fear my name, the sun... There it is, S-U-N. The sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And who is this sun of righteousness who rises with healing in his wings? When he came the first time, what did Jesus say? He'll put his words on the screen. John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the... What's that next word? I am the light of the world. Those who follow me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. I know it's dark, but I am the light of the world. Yeah, but come on, that doesn't make sense. When Jesus came the first time, the people were living in darkness. He showed up in person, and then he, he, he shined the light, and the darkness went away. But how can you have light shining when he's not here yet? He comes after that. So what's happening now? How do you destroy the darkness? Text number five. Only one more after this one. Text number five, Isaiah chapter 60. Back to the Old Testament one last time. Isaiah chapter 60. Look at, guys, just a little six-link chain. But guess what? We can draw, this, this darkness can be pierced. Isaiah chapter 60. We don't have to live with bad news. Of course, the headlines, the shock and awe of the headlines is just going to accelerate. We understand that. But here's the good news. Isaiah 60 verse 1. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Verse 2. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. We are now going into, in the history of this earth, a darkness, a deep darkness. But the Lord, keep reading, the Lord will arise over you and His glory will be seen upon you. How will the light of the Son of Righteousness pierce the earth's final darkness? The glory of Christ shines on His friends and they become the reflection that penetrates, that pierces the dark. One last text, only six of these. This one puts it together. Back to Matthew. We started in Matthew chapter 4. Let's end in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 4 verse... Matthew chapter 5, rather. Right after chapter 4, Matthew 5. All red. Red letters in my Bible. These are the words of Jesus in the beloved Sermon on the Mount. Last text. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. Look at this. Jesus speaking. You. He's talking to His disciples. He's talking to us. You are the light of the world. Hey, yo, Dwight, hold it, hold it. Didn't Jesus just say, I am the light of the world? How can I be the light of the world if Christ is the light of the world? He says it's both. You are the light of the world. Keep reading. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a lampstand. You got a dark house, you put the light up so it shines and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, here it comes, the clincher, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men and women that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
Let your light so shine. I mean, that would be like saying, Dear moon, you go out tonight, and the moon will be out tonight. Dear moon, would you please shine your light on me? And the moon will answer you. If you ask it to do it, the moon will answer you. And the moon will say, Oh, child, it's not my light. The light you see comes from the sun. Let your light, it's not our light, it's his light. Let your light so shine that it pierces the last darkness. That's it. Six decks. Six link chain. Look, what did we just, what did we just, what did we just read? Would you jot these down? Then I'll end with a quotation in a story. Just jot these down. Flying by. First text, number one, the world was dark when it came the first time. Nobody argues that. Number two, the world will be dark when Christ comes the second time. Nobody will challenge that, that either. Number three, but as it was the first time, so it will be the second time, the light of Christ will pierce the darkness of the world. Christ will pierce the darkness. How's He going to do it? Keep going. Number four, the Son of Righteousness, the S-O-N, Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in His beams. Number five, and He will pierce the darkness through His glory that will shine upon His friends. So that number six, finally, we must let the light of His love shine through us. That's it. This is the most penetrating, and here's the quotation in the story. This is the most penetrating summation I've read of this darkness piercing light at the end of time. Most penetrating description of it. I'm going to run it by you. It's from that classic on uh, Jesus' parables, Christ's object lessons. Here we go. I'm just going to put them up, just, just isolated sentences. Put it on the screen for you. Fill it in. It is the darkness of misapprehension of God that is enshrouding the world. You know what this darkness is all about, San Bernardino? You know what that's all about? Somebody didn't understand the truth about God. It's misapprehension and misunderstanding of God. That's the whole thing. It is the darkness of the misapprehension of God that is enshrouding the world. People are losing their knowledge of His character. Bullet number two, jot it down, the last rays. Oh, this is one of, my, one of my favorite lines. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of God's character of love. The final word that goes out, the final word is God is love. It's not the third highest truth. That's not the, that, that is the last truth that goes to the human race. Bullet number three. The children of God are to manifest His glory. Oh, so you do it through us? Here we go. The children of God are to manifest His glory in their own life and character. They are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. Bullet number four. Thus in the night of spiritual darkness, still quoting, God's glory is to shine forth through His church. And I love this picture of the church in lifting up the bowed down and comforting those that mourn. Every new headline, there's just more and more people on this planet who are mourning. The mission of the church, lift up those who are bowed down, comfort those who mourn. Bullet number five, practical work will have far more effect than mere sermonizing. Look at what's happening right now. This is mere sermonizing. This is, this, this is nothing. The power is not here. The power is when, you, when we go out with that love, with that light. 
Practical work will have far more effect than mere sermonizing. We are to give food to the hungry. What kind of practical work? Give food to the hungry, clothing to the naked, shelter to the homeless. Two more. Here's number six. And we are called to do more than this. Still quoting. The wants of the soul, only the love of Christ can satisfy. It's not just food and clothing that the world needs. The world is, is shot to death in its heart. The, the wants of the soul, only the love of Christ can satisfy. If Christ is abiding in us, our hearts will be filled with divine sympathy. The sealed fountains of earnest Christ-like love will be unsealed. Unsealed where? In me. It'll just flow from me. That's how the darkness is pierced. You go out, and it flows. One more. The whole earth, wrapped as it is today in the darkness of sin and sorrow and pain, is to be lighted with the knowledge of God's love. The last truth to go to the planet is that God is love. What's that mean? The next line is very significant. I don't want you to miss it. The very next line. From no sect, now this is heavy, from no sect, no rank, no class of people is the light shining from heaven's throne to be excluded. The church has no filter. The church has no filter in living out the love of Christ. The church does not look on one category of human beings and saying, you are too fallen. You are too dark. You are too lost. We will not spend time with you. No, 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 no. The entire human race, from no sect, no rank, or no class of people is the light shining from heaven's throne to be excluded. The mission of the church is to love every single human being to God. And when I hear of people moving about in their quiet little whispers, but that doesn't include this group, and that doesn't mean her, and that doesn't mean him, you have totally missed the truth about the love of God. It precisely means him and them. And them. The church is sent to them. Oh, there's one more sentence. Whoa. The power of hell has been overcome. Hallelujah. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? The enemy that is spewing this out, where do you think all this insanity comes from? Where do you think the darkness comes from? He has already been defeated on his own ground at Calvary. The power of hell has been overcome. It's been shattered. How has it been shattered? By the power of self-sacrificing love. That's the truth of Calvary. Jesus beat the enemy, defeated him on his own turf 2,000 years ago. And in the confidence of that, because here's what the devil comes to you and he says, hey, you got light? Forget it. You, you, you love? You're going you're gonna to pierce the darkness? Not you. Maybe somebody else. That's the devil. You know why? Because he knows that you're on mission. If he can blow you off of that mission, don't do it. You're too busy. You, you don't need to. No, the devil knows he's licked. Self-sacrificing love of God is the truth that penetrates the darkness. One last time. I'm in with that story. My friend Josephine Punaya found this and sent it a few days ago. A month ago, Chester, South Carolina, 11-year-old Ladarius Wiley was standing at the school bus stop with his 7-year-old sister, Shavanta. 
They're there with other elementary kids. We've got a school bus that comes right by our house. And so they're all standing around. It's early in the morning, 7.30. They're just chatting, chatting away when suddenly a car careens around the corner and races straight toward the kids. In that split second, young Ladarius does the mental com- com- computing to calculate that if the car bears its same course, it will strike his sister. And so in the other split second he has left, he makes a decision and he lunges at her, shoving her out of the way just in time for him to receive the full impact of that collision. He died instantly and the driver drove off. I want to put this picture on the screen for you, the little hero from Chester, South Carolina. I want you to just look at his face. You don't look at me, look at the screen. I want you to look into that face. The compelling testimony, just look at it, of self-sacrificing love. Somewhere someone said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay his life for his friends. And just a moment ago we read it. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of God's character of love. And that, ladies and gentlemen, that's how we pierce the darkness. We shine the light of His love through the light of our lives. And then shall the darkness be pierced. And then shall the end come. Amen pray. Oh, God. Bad news. We're saturated in it. But here's the good news. You will not leave this planet suffocating in a deep darkness before the Messiah comes the second time. There will be a light that penetrates the darkness a light from your face under the faces and lives of your friends and out they move into this dark world. Dear God, do whatever it takes but send us forth with that light shining upon us. Let us take your love to this world now, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.